What up guys? Oh my God, today's episode is a must listen. My guest is a unique one. I sit down with the New York Times bestselling author, Devon Franklin. He's been named on Oprah's Super Soul 100 list of visionaries and influential leaders and is author of many best-selling books, including the smash hit, The Truth About Men. But as you know, I don't often interview other guys, but not because I don't want to. I focus solely on bringing on guests that we can all relate to, guests we can identify with and or guests that we can learn from. With his new Audible original, It Takes a Woman, we go deep on how his life and relationships have been shaped by the incredible power and strength of the women in his life. With his father dying at a young age and growing up surrounded by a tribe of supportive women, he shares his insights into the keys to communicating with the opposite sex. He also shares why we should strive for progress instead of perfection, how he overcame his struggles with feeling unseen, how to move on from a failed relationship and how seeing the sacrifices the women in his life made taught him the importance of self-prioritizing. Guys, this heartwarming tale of how amazing women banded together to raise a young boy comes with some freaking amazing, powerful lessons we can all learn from. So, if you want to know and connect more with the opposite sex, as well as those closest to you, then get ready for today's episode of Women of Impact with the incredible Devon Franklin. And guys, if this brought you value, please, please do subscribe, like, share, comment, and leave a review and let me know how this impacted you. And without further ado now, on to the episode. Devon, welcome to Women of Impact. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. Thanks for having me. I am so honored to have you. And the, where I want to start is with one extremely powerful quote of yours. Okay. We never fully come to terms with a loss that cuts us to our soul. Now, you said that in it take, your book, It Takes a Woman. Mm-hmm. How were women in your life able to help you overcome that cut to your soul? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, that cut that I'm referencing is the death of my father. So when I was nine years old, my father died of a heart attack when he was 36. And that, you know, most of my life, that I, my memories of him, he was an alcoholic. Uh, and I'm the middle child of three boys. And so a lot of, you know, our upbringing was just trying to navigate, you know, the ups and downs of when he would be around and what state of mind he would be in. And, you know, we just never knew. So at nine years old, you know, when he died, you know, that death was so traumatic to, to all of us, me and my brothers and my mom. I mean, you know, the day that he died, you know, my mother to pick us up from school and we were supposed to go to the hospital. And then we got the call, you know, she got the call that he had passed. You know, she's hysterical, uh, drives us, you know, to the hospital and picked up one of my aunts along the way. And so I start the book, you know, with that, that moment of my mother saying, you know, walking us into the morgue at the hospital at Highland Hospital, Oakland, California. And she says, kiss your father goodbye. And so I talk about, you know, you don't know what cold is until you've, you know, had the cold of, of the kiss of death. And so that pain and that trauma and that, you know, loss is really what inspired that that quote. And so having that wound, you know, I think that, you know, the women in my family, my mother um, and my my grandmother has seven had seven sisters. And so, you know, it really was a lot of, you know, women in our village, so to speak, that really surrounded us. And I think what they saw was here are three young boys 
who have a void. You know, losing their father has created this void and we want to help them as much as we can. And I think that that desire to not, uh, not want to see us a statistic, that desire to say, hey, there's, you know, Paulette can't do this on her own, that's my mother's name. Uh, let's come in and help as best we can to just give them the support that they need. And so I think that the women in my family were really galvanized to do that because of the pain that they saw us go through. And they were also in pain too. You know, losing my father was devastating for everybody. I mean, yeah, so your mom had three boys. So yeah. just like that, she becomes a single mother overnight mm -hmm. with three boys. And to deal with her kids' trauma as well as her own trauma, to have to go through that takes a strong freaking woman yeah. and that's one thing that you really talk about in your book and you have your family around you who also talk in the audible yeah. um about the experience that they go through and the one thing that you hear time and time again in the audible as you interview your mom and your aunts is tremendous strength yeah tremendous strength now they also show their vulnerability though. Mm -hmm. And as a result, it's not just their internal work they've done, it's the work they've done to actually impact other people That's like right. yourself. That's right. That's right. That's right. Instead of saying, calling the book, it takes a village, it's, I was like, no, it takes a woman um, to give, you know, the women in my family their flowers, you know, and then also to give all women, you know, their flowers. I think there's just sometimes a, an expectation that women are going to do a certain thing, and as a result, mm -hmm. it isn't always valued. And so for me doing this book, I was like, no, I want to value the impact of women, you know, as a man, you know, I want to say, hey, I wouldn't be the man that I am if it wasn't for the women in my family making the sacrifices that they made. And the interesting thing that, that you're mentioning, you know, even in, in the question is like, there is that interesting balance between uh, sacrifice and regret, mm. right? But there's that interesting combination of like, okay, we're going to sacrifice for these kids because there's some things that we feel remorseful for too. Mm. Things that decisions they made, which they would have done differently in life, you know, maybe mistakes they made with their own children. And they saw me and my brothers as an opportunity to potentially maybe put a right where they felt like they were wrong. So we got the benefit uh, in a real way of a lot of wisdom, uh, you know, a lot of like, OK, here's what we did wrong. Here's how you don't need to go down the same road. And so I really appreciated that for this book, they were willing to share that. You know, it wasn't just it's not a book just like, oh, here's our triumphs. No, it's here's our tragedy. You know, here's here's the sacrifices, but here's where we're remorseful. And what I love about the book and what I love about those who are hearing it and being impacted by it is that I think that sometimes there's a, a pressure, you know, to be a strong woman. You know, this, my mother was a strong woman because of her vulnerability, you know, saying, hey, you know, I got these three boys. I'm going to do my best, but I need help. And, and, you know, her not being so um, ashamed or afraid to admit, I need help, then brought in my grandmother, my grandmother's seven sisters, and, and that really helped make up the difference. And so the portrait of a strong woman wasn't just one that's stoic, you know, right. it was one that says, you know, I'm vulnerable to. God, that's so beautiful, because a lot of us, I think... Um, we do, especially when it comes to kids, right? It's like, what type of mother do I want to be? What type of partner? What type of teacher do I want to be to my children? And yet at the same time, the struggles of what we as women are going through are very real too. And so to translate the lessons you're learning for your kids to help get them stronger um, and come from a point of using those mistakes problems, issues as a form of strength mm -hmm. is so amazing. And when I say strength, to your point, I don't mean like rah, rah, right? Yeah. I just mean like, oh, here's where I've gone wrong and I'm sorry, or this is how I can do better. Absolutely. And so one thing that I really want to touch on that you said 
in losing your father, you were overlooked, unseen and undervalued. Mm -hmm. Now, I've heard that your mum felt really bad about the unseen part. Mm -hmm. yeah. So how do you navigate that? How did you navigate it with your mum back then? Did you tell her you felt unseen? Mm -hmm. And then talk about now because so many of us women hold on to things. Hold on to things that we may have done wrong as like, this is who I am, maybe I'm a failure. And mm -hmm. for your mum to hear you speak out loud that you were unseen must have been like a stab in the heart. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was. I mean, it, there's a chapter in the book called uh, If You Don't Know Me uh, by now. Um, and so the, in that chapter, it was, a, it was a moment when growing up where... Uh, you know, I had this, I don't remember exactly what led up to the moment, but my mom and I were discussing something and I got mad and I just yelled out, you know, you, you don't know anything about me. And her response to that was, well, at least I kept you. So at the time I didn't, I didn't really know what that meant. And I remember asking one of my aunts, I was like, well, what does that mean? You know, and they were telling me, well, you know, your mother was raised with, you know, with us, um, for, you know, the about the 10, 11 years of her life. And as a result, even though she wasn't adopted, she still bared the emotion mm. of someone, uh, of someone who feel when they are adopted, meaning, meaning, meaning not feeling wanted and feeling abandoned. And so that idea of like her feeling abandoned, you know, one of her successes or goals at, at the time was, well, when I have my children, they're always going to be with me. No one else is going to raise my children. No one else is going to, you know, my children's not going to live in anyone else's house, but my house. So for her, that was success. So for her, she's like, I've made it. You know, I am, I am, my, my husband has passed away. My kids are, you know, with me. I'm providing for them. You know, they're doing well in school. I'm putting food on their, their, the table, clothes on their back. I'm, I'm doing it. So for her, success. Yeah. For me, as a kid, I was like, no, that's, this is not enough. Because I didn't feel like I was being seen in the process, that I was being valued. So in that moment when I yelled, when I yelled that, it was just an honest moment. But the interesting thing about doing this book with Audible, my mom and I never discussed it until we did the book. So I brought, up the, I brought it up. I said, do you remember this? And to my surprise, not only did she remember it, she said that it haunted her from that day to this. And so doing this book and talking about it really was an opportunity for us to you know, find some healing. Because as a kid, uh, you know, I think that my needs were beyond you know, just Yes, of course, I'm grateful we have food on the table, clothes in the back. Of course, like none of that goes without saying. Yet at that time, you know, I was more interested in like a personal connection, you know, like getting to know who I am, what I'm thinking, what I'm about, what I want, you know, who I am as this, you know, young kid growing up, you know. And, and so as a result, I didn't always feel seen by her. And then over the years as I've grown up, you know, I was able to say, OK, mom did the best she could with what she had. So I can't hold her to a standard of what could have been or what, you know, what I want. No, this is what it was. And look what she did with it. Right. This is what she had in the kitchen. And look at the, look what she made. She did a pretty good job. So as I got older, I gained a greater appreciation. And that also helped me to alleviate, you know, and forgive and say, well, mom did the best she could. And look at this. She brought in all this help, too. So, you know, when you look at all of the different types of advice and wisdom and support that me and my brothers got, you know, we got more than most. And so as I've gotten older, I've had more appreciation and me and my mom have been able to kind of, you know, heal those wounds. Um, and I do think that, you know, as, as I think that she felt guilty 
when she heard me say that. You know, I think she felt very, very guilty. Like, wow, I'm doing the best I can, but I didn't realize there were some things here that I wasn't really uh, addressing. And I would say to any mother, um, you, the job is not to be everything. It's not, because you can't. It's, it's a losing job to try to be everything to your children. You mm -hmm. just can't do it. So do the best that you can and trust that the differences will get made up the way they need to, you know? Oh, Devon, there were so many things that you said there that were so powerful. Um, first of all, the guilt. Oh my God. You it's something that a lot of us women have all the time, even when we have the best of intentions. Sure. And, you know, I mean, hearing your mom, like she put you first and like she said, like she felt abandoned and she told herself, I'm never going to do that to my kids. So here she is feeling freaking pride and amazement that she, yes, she was able to do it with all the hard circumstances that she grew up in. And then by one comment that you make, right. it stripped her of it. Right. Now, obviously you didn't mean it. No, from the extent Because you didn't have the same perspective mm -mm. on what that meant. Um, I'm a true believer that in order to have a successful relationship in the future or to have a great relationship with yourself, to look at um, healing these traumas that you've had as a child yeah. that maybe you're holding on to. I've done too many episodes with therapists to not think about that. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So when I start to think about how you were felt, felt unseen back then and feeling unseen is the number one reason why people get divorced. Oh. And so now I'm thinking if you're in a relationship and you feel unseen and now you're someone who maybe has a trauma or a trigger around that. Around right. that. It's like, woo. Yes. So how have you, so there's so many questions. How have you navigated feeling unseen as a child and not bringing that into your future self or your person that you are now as a trigger? And then secondly, how as women did your mum actually heal from feeling like she wasn't a perfect mother? Because while a lot of my audience may not be mothers, but it's like the perfect partner, the perfect you know woman that you want to be. Like when we face those moments mm -hmm. of, um, oh, I didn't realize I was actually failing. I thought I had a certain perspective of sure. my life. And now how on earth do I move forward from this? Having now maybe a destroyed identity yeah, yeah, so yeah. So how yeah. did your mom heal from yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll hit that part and then I'll come yeah. back to the first part of the question. Um, you know, I think it's been a process for her, you know? I mean, and, and to be honest, she might say that she's not completely healed. Mm. You know, I mean, just in doing the book, there was still so much pain there and there was still so much uh, grief. Um, and I think even with that, though, she, she still felt, feels like a confidence of, you know, I did the best that I can. And that was more than enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when you look at me and my brothers, you know, we're all, you know, relatively successful and, uh, you know, trying to make a positive contribution to, to, to our, our community and culture and, you know, and pretty, you know, upstanding citizens, so to speak. And so, you know, for her, from our vantage point, she did an amazing job. Mm -hmm. So I think some of it is letting herself off the hook too, to say, Hey, perfection is it's it's not it's not a it's not a reality right there, there's nothing yeah. that nothing or no one that is perfect and that really to me should never be what we aspire to you know as as a as a uh, perfectionist in recovery <laughs> right it's like no 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 let me search for truth let me search for progress i'd rather have progress than perfection mm. because progress means like okay i'm always getting better and i'm working perfection is this you know mythological idea or ideal that what is your definition of perfection mine is different right so then we're trying to both achieve this and it just drives us crazy mm -hmm. versus saying okay am i better yesterday than i was today and i think that for my mother 
you know, as she's seen us, you know, grow into our lives and careers and successes, I think that has given her more peace mm -hmm. that she did do a great job. And, you know, we call her and talk to her all the time and make sure she feels loved. And, and I think that also helps, you know, but I know that she has her own internal, uh, you know, struggles at times. And, uh, and I think that's, that comes part and parcel, you know, with the journey. Um, mm -hmm. And then on the first part of it, you know, being a kid that did not feel, you know, seen, part of the work that I had to do was to, you know, because a lot of times my, I mean, at the time, my remedy for that was achievement. Mm. So I was like, okay, cool, I don't feel seen. Well, how am I going to get seen? Well, let me do some things that will, I mean, it wasn't that calculated, but that was the subconscious, right. you know, take that was kind of driving my behavior. So let me, you know, I'm, being, I'm on the honor roll and I'm being a good student and I'm playing, you know, basketball and I'm, you know, uh, working at church and doing all that's expected the of me. The high achiever. The high achiever, yeah. the overachiever. Mm. Oh, good job, Devon, you know, pat mm. me on the back, all of that. So it was like, okay, let me achieve as a way to heal the wound of not being unseen. Mm -hmm. Now, that certainly, <laughs> you know, that works to a point, right? But then the achievements then become like any sort of uh, substance, mm -hmm. you know, mind-altering substance that you may take to numb, right? Whatever we're feeling, right? So it's like, okay, I was feeling a pain of not being seen. I need the high of an achievement. It works for a moment, but then the achievement goes away. The pain, pain is still there. So I got to go push for another achievement and another achievement. And so what I've had to learn is that I first have to see myself, right? And that seeing of self is like appreciating who I am, where I am, and I'm okay, right? So going, connecting that, that idea, I'm okay, to the trauma, right? So we go back to the trauma of like being this kid. And uh, when my father was around, the que I didn't know if I was gonna be okay. Just because we just never knew what state of mind he was gonna be in when he came home. Sometimes he wouldn't be around, sometimes he would be around. And so this idea of like, are we gonna be okay was, was really like the primary driver of our stability at the time. And so there were a lot of times, you know, when I didn't feel like I was going to be all right, but I didn't know how to deal with that. So I just dealt with it by suppressing and not, you know, acknowledging and, you know, achieving and all that. So you take that idea of like, I just want to be okay. I just want to be okay. How do I get okay? I achieve. Okay. Everybody pass me on the back. Great. 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 Okay. So what do you do then when you realize that that pain that you're trying to achieve yourself out of to be okay is still there. So I had to learn to see myself and say, okay, Devon, you can achieve the greatest heights in this world. It's not gonna feel the pain, it's not. So at a certain point, you gotta decide who are you and do you appreciate who you are? Do you see you? Because if you're asking people to see something that you're not seeing, <laughs> you know, it, 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 been, it sounds crazy, right. right? Oh, I want you to see me. Well, do you see yourself? <laughs> Yeah. And when I say see yourself, it means, you know, I'm not about being selfish, but I've learned the, the value of self-prioritizing. You know, these cups are relatively full, right? So if you wanted me, if you wanted more in your cup and I have nothing in my cup, I can't help you. Right? So a lot of times we think, oh, it's selfish. No, it's actually, when I self-prioritize, I can better help you. Because if I fill this cup, I can then fill your cup. And so I had to learn that. I had to learn that. And it's something I'm still learning, you know, like, okay, I have to see myself. I have to, anything I'm asking anyone else to do, are you first doing it for yourself? And if you are doing it for yourself, then maybe that'll lessen the desire or the demand that somebody else do something for you. 
in that regard. So it's been a process, mm -hmm. but doing this book was very healing for me to be able to acknowledge those wounds of the past, not run from them, and still, you know, process and try to heal through them. Wow, that's so powerful. Um, and as you were talking, I was wondering, like, have you partly learned to not put yourself first or not see yourself because so many women in your family did that where they were putting other people first and like so they were putting like you kids first or they were putting... Um, no, I don't think that was it. I just don't think I felt, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a, this is an interesting nuance, right? Mm -hmm. I felt love, but I don't, I didn't feel val like I was valuable. You know, so yes, I, so it's weird. It's like I felt the love and I felt like the support. So I don't put that at their doorstep, but just growing up, you know, as this middle child, you know, I didn't necessarily feel valued. Mm. So I think that that it was always, you know, it's always been a search for value, a search for, uh, you know, like appreciation, a search for like, do I matter? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that has been the what was driving me then and what was the issue then. But it didn't have anything to do with them you know, putting others first. Right. It just had to do with how I was feeling about myself. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal. Like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with hires as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That maybe not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. 
because sometimes I, I actually get that, but sometimes it's that, you know, people are sacrificing to give to someone else. And yet at the same time, you're, um, you're maybe passing on that message that, oh, you should be also be doing that, not putting yourself first. And so many things that we talk about now, at least for me, is exactly what you said about how can you fill your cup up first so that you can help somebody else. Right. And so I've been Greek Orthodox. I grew up in a family where all the women never put themselves first. Mm. Like it was always for the greater good of the family, for the greater good of their husband, for mm. the greater good of their kids. And so I just saw growing up so many women in my family sacrificed, sacrificed, sacrificed. And I do believe that some that's where I learned it from. Mm. And I don't blame my family, right? It's yeah. like they were doing the best they right. could. Um, but there is this moment of beauty that I see in myself in recognizing that if I take care of myself first, I'm not just taking care of myself first. I'm pushing the notion and encouraging other people to do the same. Mm -hmm. Because if I think that I've learned that putting myself first is selfish through my parents, mm -hmm. if I echo that same thing, I don't have children, but in echoing that same thing around, you know, in the show to my friends, mm -hmm. that's also going to have an impact. So I kind of like the added pressure that I now have to make sure I talk about taking care of myself. Yeah. So that that message is now passed Absolutely. on. Absolutely. It's, it's critical because so often, you know, and I, and I think that, um, you know, uh, my mother and my, you know, my aunts and my grandmother do come from an, an era of that sacrifice, mm -hmm. you know, and it's about others mm -hmm. and it's about, you know, for, you know, whatever you need is not about you. It's about, you know, who you're caring for or right. about, you know, family or about, you know, others. And so I think that there is, I understand the value of it, you know, but also one of the reasons why I wanted to do this book is so that those sacrifices were not in vain, right? Like the idea that, you know, these women on some level would give up a portion of their life so that me and my brothers could have life, then I do this book to say, I know I need to give life back to you. Like, I want you to know the investment you made was good, right? So, because so often I think that, you know, as men, you know, we do tend to be selfish when it comes to what women offer us and give us. And we do tend to undervalue uh, and take for granted, you know, what women give us. And so for me doing this book, it was like a way to say, no, I'm appreciative and I want the world to know, you know, I want this to forever be memorialized. And I could have done the book just with my own voice, but I was like, no, I want my mother's voice. And I want my uh, great aunt's voice, the five that are still alive. I want all their voices here so that they will be remembered for, for you know, long after mm -hmm. we're, we're gone. This will be eternal that people can hear their wisdom and, and glean from them. And I wanted to do that as a way to say, thank you you know, as a way to say, I see you and I'm grateful for what you, you have done. Um, and I do hope that those that listen to it will still take the, the value of like, okay, yes, sacrifice is good. Mm -hmm. Yet, <laughs> I need to first make sure that I am taking care of me. Because if I take care of me, then I can, then I, my sacrifice is that much more successful and can be that much more meaningful because it's coming from a place of real wellness and real wholeness that sometimes I think we, we forsake. If we're, you know, I'm chasing success or I'm chasing what I think is gonna make me happy or I'm finding my value in the sacrifice and finding my value in being there for others. Okay, that's fine, but when they go, who, where are you? Where are we? So I think that my hope is that this experience that, my, you know, that we share in this book and that I've been through and what my mom and my great aunts have been through that it's about, yes, you should sacrifice. Certainly, there's nothing wrong with that. Yet, please don't sacrifice to the detriment of who you are. And, and I think that is also 
one of the things that I learned from them, and I talk about this in the book, there's a chapter in the book called For the Love of Money. And I talk about, you know, one of the things in my family that I learned not to do was how to deal with money. Um, because they, I see, I saw so many mistakes, but the mistakes came from this idea of sometimes over-sacrificing, right? Okay, well, you have money in the family and I may have, you know, made some poor decisions with the resources I have. So I'm going to ask you to supplement and subsidize some decisions that I maybe could have made differently. And so then that becomes a repetitive cycle where no one's able to really build the wealth that's possible because each then just take from one another. And so that to me came, comes from a belief system of like, oh, okay, there's always going to be somebody to help fix and cover the mistakes potentially and clean up the spilled milk. Mm. And what I learned is accountability and responsibility. That I don't, if someone's there to help, wonderful, but I don't want to live in a way as if I'm counting on that help. Mm. Right? I don't want to live in, in a way that like, if someone doesn't help me, then I'm not going to become who I need to be. So I love this idea in the book about sacrifice, but I really hope that the, that the listener will take away that, you know, yes, you should sacrifice, but be careful of sacrificing to your detriment, if, if that makes sense. Oh, a thousand percent. And I think that that is such actually a beautiful way of putting it because I do want to sacrifice. Like, I feel good about sacrificing for the greater good of my husband, mm -hmm. for the greater good. Like, I mm -hmm. feel good about it. But there is that line, and I didn't realize there was that line. And so to your point is like, but up until the detriment of you. And so for me, um, I think that if any woman out there is, you know, looking to sacrifice for their child or a partner or anything, I think identifying where that line is, where, yeah. okay, I'm sacrificing now and actually right now it's doing me a disservice. And if it's doing me a disservice, then to your point, I'm not going to be able to be strong for everybody else. So um, would you advise actually to then put down where that detriment line is? Yeah, I think I think part of that comes down to boundaries, mm -hmm. you know, and and also uh, was reading this book called The uh, Courage to Be Disliked. It's a great Ooh. book. If you haven't read it, you got to no, read it. No, but sounds oh, like my, my type oh, of jam. It's, it's deep, you know, it's deep. But it's all about uh, this philosophy. And, and but one of the main tenets of this book is called the separation of tasks. So, you know, uh, I do what I need to do. That's my task. Your response to it is your task. Uh, who you become in your in life is your task. Who I become in my life is my task. And a lot of times those lines of whose task it is gets blurred mm -hmm. because we're trying to do everybody else's task for them. You know, it's like, oh, I'm trying to do your homework for you or I'm trying to make sure you eat or I'm trying to make sure, you know, and again, obviously, if you're a child, I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking right. about adult to adult. Sure. Um, you know, I'm trying to make sure, you know, that you're going to the gym and that you're like, think about how much time and energy is wasted of people trying to get other people to do things, that's their task, <laughs> right? It's like, if you go to the gym, listen, I may love you, but it's up to you to go to the gym. It's up to you to prioritize your health because no matter how much I prioritize your health, if you don't prioritize your health, there's not much we can do. So learning this idea of the separation of tasks and what is my task. And once I know whose task is whose, I can be supportive of you accomplishing your task but I don't over-index and over-sacrifice mm. to try to do a task that only you should be doing for yourself. Ooh, is there a way of you letting go? Because that's the problem, right? Is it? Absolutely. But the letting go is I love you enough, right, to be supportive of you. It could be a friend, family member. It could be your spouse. It could be a, whomever your close relationship may be. I love you enough to offer whatever advice or help or support yet. 
I, if I step in and do it for you, mm. then I'm actually not loving you, right? Because if I love you, I'm going to allow you to live this thing called life and be there with you, but I can't live your life for you, right? So yes, there is that in, in that, and it's a nuance, mm. you know? And it's like, okay, because what I find is that if we are over-indexing or over-sacrificing because we're trying to get somebody else to do something or we're trying to do something for someone else, that means there are tasks in our own life that we're not attending to. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> it's like there's stuff that we're not doing, stuff that we don't want to deal with. Oh, I don't, you know, it's too hard for me to really get down on the inside of why I don't feel good. Okay, mm. let me go help someone else. Let me go mm. meddle in someone else. Let me go, no, seriously, like, you know, <laughs> let me go make myself feel important that I serve this need to whomever the person mm -hmm. may be because maybe I'm not yet taking care of the task of who am I? Where am I going? What are my needs? And again, I am not saying you, we should not sacrifice. I'm not saying we should uh, not, uh, I'm, saying, I'm not saying we should be selfish. I'm not saying that at all. Yet, I feel like there is a lot of codependency in a lot of our family ships, friendships, relationships, because we have not separated tasks. And we haven't identified, okay, what's my task and what's your task? And when we both commit to doing those tasks, then we can have a great uh, friendship, great family ship, great relationship, because we both are taking accountability and we bring that shared accountability to each other. And that to me, no matter what the dynamic is, is when a, a relationship, family ship, or friendship can go to the next level. Oh my God, I love that so much. And as you were talking, I was thinking, oh, you would really have to address identity like what identity do you currently have right now because in what you're saying especially with um like for me i pride myself i've been married for 20 years i just celebrated my 20 year <laughs> oh, wedding anniversary. thank you that's awesome um, and i pride myself on being a good wife i love the how it makes me feel i also pride myself on being a badass businesswoman um, <laughs> I love but, that. but i have to identify yeah. what being a good wife means to me yes because I worried that when, as I transitioned into business, or as a stay-at-home supportive wife for my husband for eight years, mm. and then I trans transitioned into business and helped him build Quest Nutrition and our impact theory. And as I was transitioning, I felt guilty about like, oh, well, am I not gonna be a good wife anymore, right? You take on that emotion, the pressure, like you said about your mum with the guilt. And so I was taking that with me, but also I was like, okay, if I go into this area, I'm going to have to let go of a lot of the tasks that I've been doing for my husband. And that started to challenge my identity because I started to say, but then you're not a good wife, Lisa. And mm. now I really freaking struggled with the internal battle between feeling like a good wife and wanting to be a badass entrepreneur. Mm. And so I was just beating myself up. And I, of course, like many women, you try and do everything, which ends up meaning that you're not doing anything great. And so <laughs> right. I'm trying to do everything. And I was just beating myself up all the time with the guilt and the frustration that I wasn't a good wife. And at that moment is when I paused and I was like, well, hang on a minute what does a good wife look like to me? Instead of trying to be like, oh, but so-and-so says is a good wife and so-and-so and so I have to do this and I have to do that. And it's the same with parents that I hear where people are like, you know, the pressure of being, you know, making fresh baked cookies for the class at home. And it's like, <laughs> right, you right. know, but really what does a good mother look like to you? Mm -hmm. And I think that that becomes a great stepping stone for mm -hmm. people, as you were saying about that transition of going from being there for somebody else, but also making sure that you're there for them yourself. Mm -hmm. The identity piece is hard, oh, especially I think for women. Again, uh -huh. I don't want to like see that it's not difficult for men, but for women, I get it and I've been mm -hmm. there. And so understanding and hearing what you're saying um, is so beautiful, but it's really freaking tough. And oh, I, yeah. I found oh, yeah. that the identity piece of like saying, well, mm -hmm. what does this mean? 
So mm -hmm. for me, it was, well, what actually does a good mm -hmm. wife look like? And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, it doesn't mean that mm -hmm. I have to cook for him and clean for him mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. A good wife to me means when my husband needs me and he says, hey, I need you, that I am the kind of person that is willing to drop anything to be there for my husband. Right. And vice versa, it has to go both right. ways. Right. But then I started to realize this is what I identify as being a good wife. And now, because I've actually sat down and identified what it means to me, I now can actually show up in the world and not have to cook and clean and feel the pressure or the guilt. Right, because I mean, what you're hitting on is so good. Uh, and it's so hard, right? Like, like getting into who we are and, and knowing that and standing in it and having the confidence of that is one of the hardest journeys in life. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, we talked, you know, a little bit before about superheroes and, you know, all that. Why, why, is, why is it that, you know, superhero genre is like the biggest mm -hmm. thing in movies? You know, billions and billions of dollars. Because there's an escapist mm -hmm. idea of like, oh, wow, we get a chance to explore what it's like for someone to discover their identity because a lot of times we struggle in ours. And so this idea of identity and where I have found, you know, okay, going back to the themes in the book, Okay, what, what's healthy and what's unhealthy? Mm. In my opinion, if I find my identity in service to someone else, that to me is like the equivalent of building a house on sand. It's gonna go. <laughs> because that person, what happens if that person leaves? What happens if that person says, I no longer need your help? What happens if that person says, great, got your help. I'm going to go on to someone else or I'm going to, we're no longer going to be friends. Or, you know, as a family, oh, I got the money I need from you and I'm good. Then your identity goes along with the relationship or the friendship or the family ship. So the real key to identity is finding it right here. Who am I? Not who am I in relation to someone. Who am I? Okay, so now once I can get clear of who I am, then from that strength of identity, I then can offer these services. But I'm not offering these services to then find who I am. I'm offering this because I know who I am. Mm. And I do feel like when you talk about, you know, in a relationship, you know, in a marriage, you know, that idea of like, okay, well, I was finding my value in this way of service to my husband, you know, but your husband was like, okay, that's cool. And I love that. But what I need is more emotional. Mm. You know, what I need is like, oh, like you say, hey, whenever I, I need something, I'm going to drop. Great. I'm going to drop what I need. But it's like, okay, we could find someone who can clean the house. We can find someone, you know, who can do the food. Like, no, it's, it's not about that. Right. And you having the courage to say, I am also a badass businesswoman. <laughs> so, and I've got to lean into that identity and, I, and, and, and having, and I say courage is because you could have said, no, no, no. My identity as being the support for my husband is so strong that I'm afraid of creating the waves necessary to explore the badass businesswoman identity, right? That some, some would have said, no, I'm not going to do that. It took me eight years. That's why I was a stay-at-home wife for eight years wow. because I didn't have the courage mm. to tell him that I wasn't happy because I thought I was selfish if I said mm. that I didn't want to take care of him. Wow, wow. Yet the pain of eight years... You had to say, hey, wait, mm -hmm. if I don't self-prioritize and I don't find my true identity, then I'm not going to be of any service to you. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, that false idea of like, oh, I'm finding my identity in the sacrifice. It's like, no, no, you got to find your identity independent of it. I lost my identity exactly. in the sacrifice. Exactly. It's like I, you lose yourself. It's like, who? I'm trying to be everything to this person mm. or for this person. And then you realize, 
at, in many instances, you're not being enough for yourself. Mm -hmm. So then once you say, hey, I'm a badass businesswoman, and I'm leaning into that, and I'm building that identity, it was like, oh, now I'm, I'm alive. Yeah. Now as a wife, I'm sure I have even more to give you. you know, mm -hmm. I have even more to offer. Why? Because I'm making sure that my mask is on. I'm making sure that I'm stepping into my identity. Yeah. And when I feel free to be that badass businesswoman and mm -hmm. still be the wife that I want to be, oh, my goodness, then life goes to another level. Right. It's not about like, oh, dinner wasn't on the table. Okay, Who cares about that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, we're doing things and we're doing life in a different way because both feel completely free yeah. to be who they are and then bring that to one another. God, how are you so in touch with your emotions, the way you think? Um, and the reason why I asked that is because. Um, so I had, it's your grandfather that says, um, they called you tissue paper. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, and so, yeah, if you don't mind actually explaining that story, uh -huh. because there, I always think about these uh, pivotal moments in people's lives, right? Where the pressure can actually push them into um, listening to something that may not be um, beneficial for them. Um, so if you don't mind sharing the story, and then we'll kind of yeah. go deep yeah, down yeah, into yeah. your know, my, um, <laughs> my grandmother, like I mentioned earlier, you know, for the first like 11 years of my mother's life, um, you know, she was just doing her thing. And so my mother was raised with my great grandmother and my my great aunts. And so when my my grandmother married uh, Pops, who was the only grandfather that I knew on my mother's side, um, when he married, when my grandmother married Pops, then my then Pops was like saying to my grandmother, hey, you know, let's bring Paulette in back into the house because he had two sons. So that was the first time that my mother lived with my with her mother and then now her new stepfather and her two stepbrothers. Mm. And so growing up, Pops was the grandfather that I knew. And, you know, Pops was, you know, great in that, you know, he taught us how to camp. He taught us how to fish, taught us how to ride bikes, taught us how to clean fish. Like he was definitely kind of like the traditional what you would call man's man. Right. So growing up, we did spend time with him, but we didn't nearly spend as much time with him as we spent with my, my great aunts and my grandmother. I mean, we were I mean, we were always hanging out with them. So in the book, there was this, uh, you know, idea that I talk about where he would call me and my brother's tissue paper. Now, my, my grandfather was from College Station, Texas. So, you know, he, he <laughs> that kind of saying comes from there, you know, and he would say, you're just, you know, y'all are tissue paper. And what he was saying is, you know, you're hanging around these women all the time. You know, you're you're becoming soft. You know, you're becoming too soft. And, you know, you just you need to stop hanging around all these these, these women all the time. You know, he, and what he was also saying is like, you know, I'm trying to make you a man. I'm trying to make you tough. Mm. And for me and my brothers, we never took that um, personally. We laughed because we were like, listen, Pops, you can say all that, but we know what we're getting from hanging with them. And they're fun and they take us, you know, seriously and we matter and we go hang out and we watch movies together and we go to church and, and we have a good thing and a good time with them. So you can call us tissue paper all you want, okay? But we don't want to become sandpaper either. <laughs> you know, so we'll, we'll keep hanging with them the way we're doing it because it worked for us. But I wanted to mention that because sometimes I think there's this idea that, you know, oh, wait, you know, as young men, you can't grow into being a strong young man if you are surrounded mm. uh, by women. And I, and I wanted, you know, the undercurrent of wanting to do the book is to say, well, that's not true. That's not true. Because if that's, if that's true, then a whole generation of, of young men are doomed because they're being raised predominantly by women. And I don't believe that. I do not believe that. And I believe that me and my brothers are the men that we are uh, because we had the exposure that, we've, that we had. And so even enduring the ridicule of my grandfather, it's like, okay, you know, that's fine. <laughs> we, that, 
be that as it may, <laughs> we are enjoying the time that we're spending uh, with the women in our family. And uh, we don't want to change that, you know? That's so powerful because I've just seen so many people that do, you know, so like the young boys go to their fathers and their yeah. grandfathers and obviously your dad passing. And then when I heard the story and then, you know, the fact that he said that to you, I partly expected you to then say, and yeah, like it really broke my heart and I was torn and I didn't know what I was going to do. And you were like, oh, we just laughed. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't know whether that was like out of strength or out of the power of the women in your family or everything that you just broke down. They gave you happiness. They gave you joy. And so um, you didn't, you were like, well, why would I turn away from this? Yeah, well, I think also it just kind of goes back to that idea of a separation of tasks, right? Mm. Just, okay, Pops, that's your point of view. That's not my truth or our truth. So we're not going to feel the pain of what you're saying because it doesn't resonate. It's like, oh, yeah, no, that's not true. <laughs> Move on. Like it doesn't even <laughs> it's not it's sometimes a lot of things that when they hurt us, it's because there is a seed of truth in it. So our reaction, you know, it, is really very, very revelatory. How we react to certain things is a great indicator of what's going on in here. And so, and so for us, we weren't self-conscious about the time we spent. So we weren't going to allow him to make us self-conscious. Now, maybe if we were already a little self-conscious and he said that, we would have been like, oh, I don't, we don't want to be tissue paper. So we're going to go to the extreme to prove our, you know, young boyhood, so to speak. But we weren't self-conscious about it. Mm. We had no wound relative to the time we were spending with them. So when he said it, it was very easy to let it just roll off our back. Mm. You know, I was like, all right, whatever. Well, that's your point of view, man. You know, we, we love you. We're going to still hang with you, too. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of times in life, you know, there is this temptation to allow statements like that from others to really then, you know, become a part of our internal dialogue. So think about it. I mean, if we may have been in a different state emotionally, what if that idea of, oh, I don't want to be tissue paper got into my internal Why? dialogue Why? and then started to inform my choices as a man? Well, I don't want somebody to think that I'm soft and I don't want somebody to mm -hmm. think that, you know, and I'm going to do things or I'm going to, you know, be a certain type of dude because I don't want nobody to think that I'm soft, so to speak. Right. I'm thankful that we had a strong enough foundation mm. where that didn't become a part of the internal dialogue. You know, and you mentioned something earlier about, you know, just uh, to be how can I be so self-aware? A lot of it just comes from pain. You know, it's like, OK, you know, when I go back and look at all the pain that I've had to endure in my life, it's like, oh, Okay, all right, this pain is here to, to teach me if I let it. Mm. And this pain is here to, to help me understand who I am and who I'm not and what I need and what I don't and all of that. So a lot of it comes from just like, you know, a lot of days just feeling like, oh, God, who am I? Where am I going? What, you know, God, where are you? You know, that those moments uh, for me are moments that I, I really lean into to, to understand more of who I am, where I, what, what's, what this is about, uh, and, and, then, and then try to offer that compassion to others, you know, because, uh, you know, again, I talked about earlier, I'm a per perfectionist in reform, right? Like, I thought that that was the path. I want to get through life perfectly, and that didn't work. So I was like, all right, I'd rather get through it truthfully. Let me get through it truthfully, right? And it's not going to be perfect, and that's okay. As long as it's true, I can live with that. And, and, and being enough in touch with that pain that I've had to experience really has been a great teacher on keeping me on the path of what's true. What's the driving force then? Is it, is it the improvement? So no matter what I have to go through, because to identify your pain is so hard. 
for you to sit there and it's it's beautiful but so hard for people to go back identify the pain take that on them yeah well a lot of times i i think that subconsciously we don't know we're in pain or consciously we don't know subconsciously mm. we're in pain mm. so we're we're trying to go about life doing the things that we think are going to produce happiness joy contentment and then we go and do those things and a lot of times they don't so it's like wait a minute no 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 if i have this 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 and this i'm supposed to feel this way that's what's on the movies that's what's in the tv shows that's what's in all the books i read growing up but i did all this and it didn't work so it's like, okay, instead of overriding the system, which I've done before, oh, no, let me just go get more. It's mm. like, no, no, stopping for a moment. When I was a young kid, um, it was actually uh, not that long after my father died. I was playing uh, hide-and-go-seek in my friend's house, and I was going to go be the one that was going to find everyone. And then after we counted 10, uh, I went to go run to find my friends. And I ran. Next thing you know, like I stopped, and I felt like, oh, man, I just ran into something. And I said, oh, I'm not going to worry about it. And I just started to you know, try to walk again. And I realized I couldn't. It hurt really bad. And I looked down at my knee and my knee was cut open. Oh, God. Yes. I ran past a flower bed and there was a sharp piece of wood and it just cut my knee wide open. And literally, I'm looking down and there's blood coming out. And so I had to yell for help. And they came and they got me, rushed me to the hospital. I was in the hospital for a couple of days. But my point is this. The first instinct was to brush it off. <laughs> oh, whatever, I'm in pain. Who cares? No, I'm just going to push through it. But I had to look and say, no, no, this is a pain that's causing me to stop. What's going on? Oh, shoot, I'm cut. I'm hurt. I'm hurt. Oh, wow, I'm hurt. So it, it requires that courage to say, I'm not okay. I'm hurting right now. I'm hurting. And, and part of the question, the, it, it is hard to do, but, it's, but here's the part that's easy. It's an, a tip that my acting coaches teach me. Ask yourself repeatedly, how do I feel? 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 Oh, right. I'm not happy. Okay, well, why? Well, how do I feel? Why do I, why, why do I feel that way? And the more we just keep asking, the more that what's in the subconscious becomes conscious. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, again, going back to the pain of losing my father and, you know, being a child and like, where am I going to go and who am I? That pain has been something that I, as I've gotten older and I've run right into because I tried to achieve my way and, you know, become, you know, this persona of all this stuff. But that doesn't stop the pain. Yeah. So for me, I had to just come to a place where I said, OK, this pain is still here. What am I what, what is it trying to tell me and let me do the work of trying to resolve it and heal it uh, so that I can grow from it instead of allowing this pain to keep me in a holding pattern of behavior that never allows me to grow and never allows me to truly find contentment. And do you think addressing all of that pain has helped in every aspect of your life? For sure. I mean, you know, even doing this book, you know, and being so transparent about where I am and what I'm going through, uh, it, it's helped every aspect because what it does, I mean, you know, and it's like we're, you know, in similar fields in terms of people looking to us for inspiration and guidance. And so there's a temptation to present and to perform. Mm. And, and so bringing that performance of, oh, I got it, and I, I got all the answers, and I know, and, and let me show you, and you know, let me look a certain way and do all this <laughs> stuff to convince you that I'm, I got it, right? Well, for me, what this journey that I've been on, this journey of truth has done for me is it's helped me 
put all that to the side. So in every area of my life, I'm just showing up as Devon versus like, oh, I need to be Devon, you know, the motivator today or Devon, the influencer or Devon, the, you know, spiritual teacher or Devon, the producer. Like, no, I'm just Devon Franklin, you know, and I'm and, and I feel comfortable and I'm getting more comfortable with just showing up as myself. And of course, I have different skill sets and I'm going to do different things. Yet I don't feel the pressure of having to be a certain thing to a certain person because of doing that work and finding the healing and that helping me, you know, almost be liberated in every other area, you know, of my life to not feel that I have to be this certain thing mm-hmm. or like, this is what they're expecting of me. You know, it's like growing up. I mean, even these tattoos, this, this is all relatively new. This is like the past year <laughs> uh, because, you know, for years I wanted to do it, but you know, I was raised in the church and I was afraid of how people would think of me. Your tattoos and, for people that are listening. Yeah. yeah. These are all, this is within the past year. Um, and, uh, you know, I was just like, wait, who am I living for? Mm. Am I living for me? Am I living for God? Or am I living for everybody else and everyone else's perception of me? So I allowed others' perception to be my prison. Others' perceptions of me to be my prison. Oh. And I was like, I'm getting out of this. I am getting out of this. You can think what you want to think. I'm going to do what feels right to me and what feels true. And if that works for you, great. If that doesn't, that's actually not my business or my problem. So being able to step into that truth and being able to express that truth is, is really one of the byproducts of the healing. And so, yes, it does show up in every area of my life. Ooh, other people's perceptions of me were, was my prison. <laughs> like you literally took the wind out of my sails as you said that. Holy, that yeah. was freaking strong. Oh my, so how does that take place if you don't mind i'd love to talk about relationships because yeah. that was actually one thing that you speak about in your book of how like you actually even say i was a little hesitant on whether i should talk about this or not that's right but then you do yeah so um i'd love to talk about that vulnerability and sure. that you showing up as devon right yeah that, you yeah know, well you know part of the vulnerability because i have a whole chapter in there about love relationships and marriage mm-hmm. and when i was going through the book i was when i was doing the book i was going through a divorce and so i was very you know i was hesitant like should I put this chapter in the book, mm-hmm. you know? But then I was like, well, this is still, the women in my family taught us a lot about marriage and love and relationships. So if I don't put it in the book, I'm not being truthful mm-hmm. to what they poured into us. And so I was just very candid and acknowledged, you know, in that chapter of my own trepidation and going through the divorce, but still feeling like this chapter would be a benefit to the listener. Mm-hmm. And so that, that to me was very cathartic because it was like facing the fear of the shame of divorce, right? Right. And saying, okay, you know, instead of wearing the shame, you know, let me find the strength in it. And just by acknowledging it, yeah, you know what? Hey, here's where I am, here's what I'm going through. And here are still the lessons that I learned about love and relationships that I still believe in. Mm. And so being able to include that in the book, to me made the book feel more not only just truthful, but more whole mm. uh, and more and more um, uh, three dimensional, um, because those that follow me and know what I'm going through, you know, I think it would have been awkward for you not to mention for me it. to not mention yeah. it in awkward in a way, not from me feeling the pressure to be something to them, but it revealing that I'm actually not on a truthful journey. Mm. <laughs> so right? true. Right? Because yeah. if I keep it out yeah, and I don't yeah, acknowledge yeah. it, oh, so you, you're just, and that's okay. If I wasn't on a truthful journey, that's all right. But for me, I'm like, no, no, I am on this journey of truth. And, and I'm not going to be afraid to say, hey, here's what I'm going through mm. uh, and be transparent about it. You know, and again, at the end of the day, uh, we live this thing called life. 
and uh, no one does it perfectly. And, uh, you know, I'm learning. And so I really wanted to include that chapter uh, as a way to be truthful and also to help those that are listening. Yeah, I love that. And it felt very natural and authentic. And you're right. I think I would have perceived it of like, you're not putting this in on purpose, which means that there's something that you're not comfortable talking about. Now, look, I'm always the person that was like, if you're not comfortable talking about it, you shouldn't talk about it. Like, right. it's your life, it's your book. You freaking put whatever you want yes, in your book. Yes. But I do understand because um, there's so many women that do turn to you for relationship advice. You've Absolutely. written so many amazing books and so um, in the past about it. And so what do you, you even said, it just reaffirmed and um, helped you identify the things that are still important and the, the um, you didn't use this word, but I will, the North Star of love, relationships and sex. If you don't mind sharing a couple of those, that would be wonderful. Like, What were the things that you were taught growing up and what have you, you still believe in or what ideas have yeah. you actually pivoted now having been in that experience yourself? Yeah, you know, um, I mean, I've learned so much and I'm still learning so much about love and relationships and you know, one of the things that uh, my aunts, you know, and I talk about this in the book, you know, would teach us growing up is you have to live it to learn it. Mm. And and that is so true, especially when it comes to marriage. I mean, nobody can tell you what marriage is, you know, until you're in it. Uh, and so living it and learning it and understanding it uh, and not being afraid, mm. right? Because, you know, making a commitment and, and really seeing that commitment through can be really scary so i learned like it's okay like it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to throw yourself in and it's okay you know that hey this is where things ended up okay you know it's all right to acknowledge that and i think sometimes when it comes to love and relationships there's so many ideals mm. that mm -hmm. we then in, impose and enforce on the relationship and what i'm learning you know from what not even just what my aunts have, uh, have taught me but just my in my own life i'm learning like okay Again, going back to what we talked to before, in a, in, a, in a loving relationship, you know, real love is first me I, taking care of me. And when I say taking care of me, I, I don't mean like, you know, going off and living a separate life. I'm just saying, what are the things that I need to do to feel valued and validated and loved and appreciated for myself? You know, what are those things I have to do to fill my cup so that then I have something to bring, I have something to offer. And I think a, a lot of times in relationships where when you're single, it's like, oh, if I could just have a relationship, I would then be fill in the blank. Mm. And so as a result, we outsource <laughs> what we could be doing now to fill our own cup, looking for someone to fill the cup. So then we find that person who fills our cup on the first day. Give it 300, you know, for 2000, give it day 2055, right? <laughs> okay, and they're like, uh-uh, I'm not filling that cup no more. And you're like, well, what do you mean? This is what love is and this is what it's like, Oh, got it, got it. No, I think a healthy relationship is when both people are doing their work and they're bringing it. And so I have learned, you know, through <laughs> bumping my head badly, okay? You know, of like, okay, going forward, uh, you know, I need to make sure that I am um, being the love that, that I, I want. You know, and I think that sometimes, you know, growing up, we look at relationships as a way to be serviced. Right. So it's like, oh, no, I want this person to be this or do this. And then that creates an imbalance in the relationship, because, you know, when two people may not work out in that way, it maybe has nothing to do with love. Right. You know, love. I hate to break it to you. Love's not enough. It's not enough. <laughs> I hate to break it. I don't mean to burst anyone's bubble. 
You know, I know you got. I know you, hey, hey, I know you got a lot of women following you. But I'm just saying, love. Not I, we want the honesty, though. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's we want not, the honesty. It's not enough. It's not enough. Mm. It's not enough uh, to to because you can love and it still not work. Mm. And I think a lot of times, you know, growing up, you know, we're we're taught like, oh man, you know, just fall in love and love will answer all. Well, the love that answers all is the love of self, the love of God. That's the love that, that can transform. Mm. Because when I need someone else to fill the love that we're not giving ourselves, that we're not getting from God, we are going to end up in a very difficult circumstance because no person, no one person can fulfill the holes that we have in our soul. Mm. It can't happen. It cannot happen. And, and when we put the pressure on somebody else to do that, we ultimately could destroy what could be very beautiful because we aren't taking accountability for ourselves and the work that, that we need to do to show up and have that full cup. You know, so when I think about love and I think about relationships, you know, even when, again, going back to what my aunts taught me, you know, I think about this idea of, um, you know, I, I, I got to make sure I love me. And again, that's not selfless. I'm talking about self-prioritizing. I got to love me. You know, there's a scripture that says, uh, you know, of the greatest commandments, you know, love the Lord God uh, with all your heart, um, mind and soul. And then there's also the other part of it is love your neighbor as yourself. Ooh. So growing up in church, a lot of the focus was on loving your neighbor. Right. Well, it's like, oh, well, why aren't we loving our neighbor well? Because we don't love ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the more that I learn to love me, the more that I learn to love who I am, the more that I learn to love on myself, mm -hmm. the more I actually have to, uh, I have to give. There's more love I have to give. And I stop stressing you out, okay? Think about how many relationships are stressed out right now because somebody is expecting that other person to give them something that they're not giving themselves. Mm -hmm. And then they get mad at that person, right? How, how dare you not be who I need you to be? If you don't stand in the corner on one leg and hop every day, I'm never gonna be happy, right? It's like, I'm not happy because that person's not doing, really? Is that really the way that this is gonna go? So, you know, I'm learning accountability, responsibility, uh, and being the love that, that I want. So that way I can better appreciate, you know, the love that comes. But like everything you just broke down of what you're doing for yourself before you then look, you know, even think yes. about a relationship is so beautiful. And so as you were saying, I was like, oh, if you found someone that had that same value system, that same foundation, when you come together, now you're not looking to each other, that you need each other. And this is actually, you mentioned the word need. You said that word like mm -hmm. three times. <clears throat> and it really stood out to me because it was a whole conversation I had with my husband once. Mm. I was telling you about my m massive gut issues that I've had in yeah. my life before we were rolling. And one of the situations, I was in absolute agony. I'd fallen to my knees because I could barely breathe. I was wow. gasping for air. I had so many gut issues, spasms. And in that moment, I was like, I need my husband. I need my husband. I need my husband. So I'm calling him because he's somewhere in our house. And I'm like, where is he? And he wasn't answering. And I'm on the floor and I'm like, I need him. I need him. But because he wasn't answering, I was like, well, am I gonna stay on the floor? Like, and I was like, oh, I don't need him. I want, want him, him. Mm -hmm. but I don't need him. And in that moment, I was like, you are your own damn hero, mm -hmm. Lisa. Get up off the damn floor. Mm -hmm. And that moment was pivotal in my entire relationship. Mm -hmm. Because since then, I always say to my husband, and he actually felt like it stung him a little at first. Mm -hmm. 
And I was like, I don't need you. And he's like, oh, as your husband, like his identity, <laughs> right. going back is, to how we yes, saw our identity. Being needed. Yes, yeah, is that he wants to be needed by his wife. So he's six mm. foot, I'm five foot one. So there's a whole like, he wraps his yeah, arms yeah, around yeah, yeah, me. Yeah. He carries me when my feet hurt. I mean, right, like, right, right. so like that was his identity. So we had to have a whole honest discussion about the difference between need and want. Mm. And the conclusion I came to is, isn't it more beautiful that I'm not with you out of necessity, but I'm with you because I want to, out of desire? Yes, absolutely. And once now you can see things like that, you can, to going back to your point about building yourself first before you go into these relationships and not looking for someone else to mm -hmm. heal you, is to really work through that part of it. Yes. And go, okay, what are my needs? How can I show up for myself first and then let me enter right. a relationship right. where now we can want to be together. Right. And, and part of the wanting, because I love that differ differentiation between need and want, because mm. again, it's like if you, if we talk ourselves into like, oh my God, I need this person. Well, if that person doesn't show up in the way that we need, then what happens, right? So this idea of, no, I want this person, um, but I'm not dependent on this person, mm -hmm. right? And vice versa. Hey, I want you in my life, but I'm not dependent on you. Okay, great. So then we as two adults, you know, can bring that together. In that same book, The Separation of Tasks, one of the things that they talk about, which I thought was so cool, is like, when it comes to, you know, a relationship uh, or a marriage, it's not about the me and the you, it's about the us. So it's like, okay, you know, you and your husband run a, run a company. You know, if you don't decide what works best for the company, mm -hmm. and then you both agree to that, and then you make sure that that gets done, you're both not gonna be great partners. Right. Because it's like, wait, 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 we agreed the company's gonna be this and you're doing that. It's like, no, now we can hold each other accountable. So in a real, I think in a strong, loving relationship, it's really about, okay, well, what makes us us? Mm -hmm. what, what is the us? And let's talk about us. Because so often, going back to the me and you, if we only stay in the me and you, we never really get to the fullness of what us could be. Because then I'm looking at, the, it's a negotiation. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, are you doing this for me? Or am I doing this for you? Versus like, think about it. If you had to negotiate, from a business standpoint, if you had to negotiate with your husband every day about how you're going to do business, you'd never have a successful business. <laughs> you'd never get anything done. You'd never get anything done. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, no, this is what our business is about. This is what we do. So then we can show up every day and execute. Yeah. So in a, in a relationship, in a marriage, I don't think there's enough time focused on what is the us? Mm. What makes us us? And let's sort that out. And then let's both agree to that. And then I, it'll help me understand like, oh, okay, yeah, this might work for me, but if it hurts us, I may have to look at it differently. But this works for me and it works for us, okay, great. That's a, there's a win-win. Versus like, well, if it works for me and it doesn't work for us, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's like, well, no, okay, well, if there's some things that I need to do that might hurt the us, okay, babe, let's, let's sit down, let's talk about this. Because we said this is what we were about and I'm, and I'm committed to that. But here's some me things that I think if I do them, it's going to disrupt the us. Let's sort it out. So that that way we have something greater than ourselves that, that we are, are focused on, that we're, that we're putting in time into and energy into. So it's really about identifying the us. What is the us that we want? Right? Okay, I can fulfill my own needs. I'm an adult. Okay? <laughs> I don't need you to fulfill my needs. Right? In that way. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? But what I want, okay, how do we build the us? What does that look like? And then let's live a life where we, we commit to that. And we're excited about that. That is so powerful. And I love that. The analogy I like to use is like a game of tennis. So like normally I see couples where it's like one person's on one side of the net, the other person's on it. So you're playing the same sport, but only one of you can win. Right. That's right? right. And then you're literally just hitting the ball back and forward. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas I think I like to think of relationships as being a game of doubles. 
Mm -hmm. You both win That's together. There you if go. your stroke actually misses, then you're you, the other person's got your back. If you're weak at something, your partner can get there strong. And now you've got that collective goal, that collective like path, and you're going to, um, that goal that you guys have is together, right? Mm -hmm. You both want to win together. So when it comes to a relationship, I think that same thing is like, are you aligned so that you both think of winning in a relationship as that like joint North Star that you Absolutely. have? And, and, and I think, you know, I think that if, if more couples approached it that way mm. that I think it would help take their relationship to the next level because a lot of you know again in in in, in a relationship there's a, sometimes a lot of negotiation with the right. me and the you right right without a real mm. understanding of what's us mm. what makes us us let's talk about that let's dream about that let's 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 map that out let's write that down this is what makes us us great let's both commit to doing the best for us and prioritizing us and if there's ever a conflict Let's come back to the table and talk about it. Mm. But let's make the decision and clarify what it means to be us. And I think that that could change a lot of relationships. God, did you learn communication through the women in your life? Because I know that there's one chapter where you talk about like how, how all the women in, in your life were very open about sex and oh, about yeah, like the communication. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, wow. <laughs> like I, I kind of almost thought of it as the opposite. Because for yeah. me, no woman in my in the Greek Orthodox like ever talks about sex. Oh, wow. Ever. Yeah. I asked my grandmother once and she actually told me it was a stork. Oh, like, boy. Of how course. old school is that? <laughs> yes, I still got that story. Oh, my goodness. So to hear that like all the women in your yeah. family were so open about sex and communicating about it. Yeah, they were. I mean, you know, from the time we were young. I mean, they were always talking about sex and uh, giving us lessons. So I have a whole chapter in the in uh, in this book, you know, called Let's Talk About Sex. And you get it. You know, the listener gets a chance to hear not only my point of view, but also what their their wisdom from them directly. And uh, it always created a good, you know, open relationship. Now, I, I also say that I didn't express to them back my points of view to them. I would just listen. You know, oh, I, just, right. I wasn't like I was open and felt comfortable talking about it. I felt comfortable listening to what they had to say. But I was not offering up much of what I was not what I was doing or not doing at the time when they were, right. you know, uh, giving me that wisdom. But one of the things that was I thought was really important uh, that we did learn as young men is, uh, you know, not just the value of pleasuring a woman, but the value of valuing a woman, right? So, so you, as a man, I can date responsibly and still have a woman's value as my priority. And what that meant for me as I grew up and, you know, got into to dating was, well, if I'm not serious, if I don't have any good intent for her, then I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lead her down a path that's ultimately not going to end well because my intent isn't good, right? My, if, and when I say intent, I mean, that doesn't always mean like, oh, I intend to marry you. Right. It's like, no, I actually have a good intent to get to know you. I enjoy the time that we spend. I'm going to be honest about that. But if there's no intent there, mm. like, don't put my desire for pleasure over the, the priority of valuing her. And so if, I, if there were women that I, you know, did not value in that way, then it was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go down that road. And I think because they were so open with us and communicating about sex and, and relationships and women so young, as me and my brothers grew up, mm -hmm. we you know, really did have a, a sense of valuing and prioritizing you know, women and not just looking at women as, oh, that's just an object of my pleasure. Mm. No, that's a person. <laughs> 
you know, that's God's daughter, you know, and then again, that doesn't mean that, you know, when I was dating uh, prior to marriage that I was, you know, a successful dater in every situation. I wasn't sure. right. You know, hey, I learned and made You're some mistakes. You're learning. And You're not perfect. I know. Exactly. <laughs> I tried. I tried. Um, but but learning to value, you know, uh, a woman. And I think as men, that's something I think that we we can continue to do better. Uh, we as men are conditioned to seek pleasure, to seek what we want. Doesn't matter who we hurt in the process. As long as we get what we want, we're kind of taught an ends justify the means kind of mentality, especially when it comes to dating and relationships. And I think that as men, you know, we have done untold damage unnecessarily to so many women from that having that uh, mentality. Mm. And that's something that, you know, I really um, am committed to help helping change, you know, just as a man, because you're a man, that does not mean that, you know, it's all right to, you know, be pleased at the expense of someone else's pain. No, I think that we both can have pleasure. We both can find a happy medium where it works for both of us. And if it doesn't work for both of us, it shouldn't work for one of us, <laughs> period. Like, like if I'm engaging with you in a way that doesn't work for you, then it, it can't work for me. Yeah. If this works for us, great, cool. But if it's not, let me not take advantage of the situation or take advantage of you to get what I want, knowing that it's killing you to do, give it to me. Oh, that's so strong. Um, what are some of the values then in, in that, that you're... Um that the women in your life have taught you. So it was like, women are not conquerors. Like, it's not something right. to conquer. That's right, um, that's right. What other values do you have you taken into your adulthood and you're just like, oh my God, this was the most wise things. I mean, because yeah. honestly, hearing the the words coming out of um, all these women's mouths was so wise. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I want to hang with them. That's right, that's <laughs> why like, I did it. invite me around yes, for dinner. Yes, um, And so even, and then hearing about the values that they put on you, um, it really made me realize how much of behavior um, is really taught, right? Like when mm -hmm. you see, if you're a kid and you're a male and you see people in your life mistreat women and no one's there to help guide you, mm -hmm. how you can grow up to mistreat women, you know? And then being able to see, see someone like yourself, how you've had such a healthy Mm -hmm. um, influence on how to treat women that you now seem like you have a very healthy understanding of how to treat women. Mm -hmm. So, and you even said, I'd like to help spread that. So what are those things that right now we can maybe say that if a guy is listening or a woman can actually take on and say, okay, these are the things mm -hmm. to feel valued. This mm -hmm. is what I should expect from my partner. Well, uh, you know, in terms of what I learned, you know, growing up, one, it, it starts with, you know, this looking at a woman as a person you know, not as an object of pleasure or desire. Like, of course, if you're, you can be attracted, I'm not, it wasn't about right, that. It was just about the value. Mm -hmm. Like this is an actual person. And, you know, and then also, even though they talked about, you know, a lot about sex, they also were very clear, don't let sex run your life, mm -hmm. right? Like don't let your desire to, to find pleasure disrupt your purpose. Because, you know, you can, they would, they would, you know, you can become a man that that's all he wants. It's all you want. They would, they would say, but that's not gonna end up in a good place for you. So yes, you know, they were very open about, you know, what it meant to have good sex, but they were also very clear that don't let that, you know, run our lives either. Don't be controlled by it, you know, like have a sense of self-discipline uh, as you're dealing with, you know, your other, you know, people, especially women. Uh, the other thing, you know, was the value of listening. Um, you know, we were really taught from them, you know, from my mom, my great aunts about listening. So, you know, in a relationship, you know, yes, it's about being heard, but it's also about listening too. And so really learn the value of not just being so quick to say what I want to say, but to really try to hear, 
you know, okay, well, what is she saying? You know, what's on her heart? What's going on in her? What's going on in her day, her life? Like really trying to, to listen. Uh, the other part was support, you know, being a, trying to be a good support system. You know, I think we learned a lot about that. Like, it's not just, a, again, it's not just about getting what you want. It's about what are you giving to? So, so these are, you know, I would say those are, and we learn a lot, but those are the four yeah. things that really come to mind where, you know, we were taught in terms of how to, you know, navigate dating, relationships, love, uh, and how to really, as men, you know, really make sure the best we can, uh, you know, we are, are valuing the women that we come in contact with. Devon, honestly, I could talk to you forever. Your book was beautiful. <laughs> I am you. loving this conversation <laughs> so too. much. Um, where can people go and listen Thank to you. it and then follow you with all the other stuff that you're doing? <laughs> yeah, they can listen to It Takes a Woman on Audible. Uh, it's an Audible original. It's an audio-only book, and you can just go to Audible. You can access it through audible.com, or if you access Audible through the app or through Amazon, that's where you can find It Takes a Woman. And then for me, you know, I'm on uh, Instagram and social media. Uh, at Devon Franklin, and then my website, devonfranklin.com. Amazing. Guys, guys, you've got to go check this book out. I mean, come on. It's called It Takes a Woman. What more do you need to know? Go check it out. It is so beautiful. It's so raw. It is so honest. So go check it out. And guys, if you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. And if you haven't subscribed, click that subscribe button down there. And until next time, be the hero of your own life. Peace.